with everything that we have faced in the past years, I think it's safe to say that those events have really magnified the mental health crises in our country. Although, you know, mental health conversations, workshops, and speaking engagements, they have been on the rise, but there are still barriers preventing many people from seeking help. In all fairness, women report having more mental health issues than men, but men are four times more likely than women to commit suicide. And people are just devastated in wanting to understand why. So Dr. Hufstead, can you share what your research have shown? Yeah, so I mean, you, you mentioned a lot of really good points there. So definitely women are more likely to attempt suicide. So I want to talk about that part. So more likely to attempt suicide than men are more likely to die by suicide. And this is largely due to using more lethal means. So men are going to be more likely to use firearms, for instance, which has a, a much, much higher level of lethality. Um, so that's why we see that there. Um, and I would say just in general, I think you make a really good point that the pandemic and everything associated with it has definitely increased awareness about mental health. And I, I can definitely say in terms of our numbers, we've been seeing more and more people seeking support and seeking services. But we always say this, there's still a lot more work to be done. Right. Especially when you think about in the black community, because what we're also seeing is an increase not only in black identified individuals seeking support, but we're also seeing increase in terms of suicide data. Black identified individuals have always been a little bit more on the lower side as it relates to dying by suicide. But in recent years, um, especially with the youth, which is really concerning, those numbers have increased significantly. And when we look at suicide data in general, the most recent data that we have is from 2020. You, usually suicide data is a little bit behind. Um, over 45,000 people in that year alone died by suicide. And a lot of times when you turn on the news, what you see is a lot of information about homicides. You see murder often being shown in the news when in actuality, a lot of times when I do presentations, I'll ask the audience, what do you think the homicide number for that year was? And most of the time, that number is a lot higher than suicide data, because that's what you see. But in actuality, in that year, for comparison, it was a little over 24,000 people that died by homicide. So the suicide data is significantly higher, and it has been for years. Although it did come down in 2020 compared to the year prior, it's still a significant issue. And it definitely shines light on the fact that we have to be able to have these conversations about mental health and getting individual support, especially when we see just the numbers in general across the board have increased, but particularly people of color, individuals that are Black identified seeing increased numbers there. Right. Just hearing the numbers, hearing the statistics behind that, people are like, wow. I mean, I know that I'm a clinician and I'm like, wow, just, you know, looking at the, the data because we really don't understand and we really don't see it. It is overshadowed by, like you said, homicide. But stigma is so complex and people think that, oh, no, it's just stigma is just this one category. There are so many different components when it comes to stigma. Stigma, that is like an umbrella. And under the umbrella, you have, you know, social stigma, you have self-stigma, you have professional stigma, you have cultural stigma. And all of these things tie into the why. Yeah, and that's a good point. 
I talked about this in another podcast, is Dak Prescott, who is the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. And I'll never forget, this was right when the pandemic started. And he had talked about how he was really battling depression. And he said it was partly due to the fact of the pandemic related to just being isolated from friends and from family. Everything was shutting down. So just not having that social support was challenging. But then he said he talked about losing his brother who died by suicide uh, that year, too. And he said that coupled with the pandemic was extremely difficult. Right. So here you have this quarterback athlete, famous athlete, and he's speaking at this press conference in front of reporters, you know, just talking about what he's been through. And you could feel in what people were saying that they were like, oh, you shouldn't be talking about this. And and somebody even said, how do you think your teammates are going to view you by you talking about, you know, the struggle with depression and all these other things? And then there was also a famous person on a famous analyst on ESPN who also said, I don't think he should have done that. It it could be perceived as weak or soft. Anybody with common sense would say, here's an individual that lost his brother to suicide. And then he was also grappling with the effects of the pandemic, which we all were, you know, trying to manage and navigate, especially in the beginning. And yet even then his vulnerability equated to weakness to so many people. And I really respect him because he said, well, I would hope my teammates would respect me by me as the leader of this team, being open about some of the challenges that I was experiencing. Right. And I think that's the dialogue that needs to continue to take place. And I think that's also what has helped so many people seeking support is individuals like him using their platform and say, hey, this strong guy that you perceive, you know, on TV and all this other stuff, hey, you know, I'm a human too. Like I go through things, I struggle with things. And I think that's the key component is just like we say in therapy, anybody could benefit from just having somebody to talk to. Right. We all could. And so really creating that space where people can share and then also really mitigating some of these factors, like you said, culture, uh, social media, family related stigma. There's so many different elements to it. But giving people the opportunity to say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling right now, and that's okay. Yeah, you touched on so many different great points. I just want to take a step back. Given that example of this professional athlete, with him being this great public figure, there's social stigma behind what a man should look like. For me, you know, the, that the concept that comes to my mind is bearing the burden of toxic masculinity. And so that relates to how society perceives what a man should be or shouldn't be, but then also what's associated with what a man is or what masculinity should look like, which is strong, macho, aggressive, dominant, powerful, tough. So many men fall prey to the false idea that they should be tough or they need to be tough to fix their own problems, to handle their own issues. You highlighted a really, really good point, which is showing vulnerability. We're talking about mental health, right? But what about even physical health, you know, and going to the doctor, you know, we know that guys don't do that and just getting just a checkup to see, you know, hey, am I physically well? <laughs> you know, now we're talking about mental. Oh, you can just throw that out the window, right? Right, right. 
So it's really disheartening to hear when these things take place. I'm going to tie it back to traditional gender roles Mm -hmm. and how men and women are given roles assigned to us at birth. You know, these roles are literally forced upon us. And I can remember just being a, a child wearing pink. And I was like, why do, why am I even dressed in pink? And my brother is dressed in blue. It's just things like that. And my brother not being able to play with dolls, but I can play with dolls, but he only can play with trucks. And if he touched a Barbie doll, it was like all hell breaking loose because that's like a no-no. As as men trying to live out this whole ideology of what a man should really be. Yeah, I think you make a good point. And I think a lot of it creates pressure, right? Right. It's it's a lot of pressure, and especially in the world we live in. So you're battling, and it reminds me of... Um, this talk, it was about like, it was called like the mask we live in. It was based on that documentary uh, related to men and boys and being able to be vulnerable about their experiences, but finding themselves in a situation where you're wearing so many different masks, right? Right. So you might be wearing this one mask because you don't want to come off as intimidating, right? Mm -hmm. Especially related to social justice related issues and discrimination in our country, police brutality, all that stuff. And so you wear this mask because you don't want to fit the negative stereotypes and you don't want to intimidate. And then maybe you're in this other situation where you don't want to be perceived as weak or soft. So now you're wearing this mask because you want to appear really tough, right? So people don't take advantage of you or, or whatever the perception of that particular scenario is. And then over here, you, you got to be whatever that particular situation wants you to be, right? Right. So throughout the day, you're putting on and taking off all of these metaphorical masks and it creates a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of other things that at the core uh, can create sadness and everything. But to your point, those feelings are subdued because of societal influences, family influence, social media, And so as a result, what you have is other emotions that are seen as more acceptable coming up in those moments, which is the reason why you see anger and irritability being so prevalent amongst men, when at the core, it's truly sadness that individuals were not given permission to be able to express. So there's 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 so many layers to it. Yeah, it is so many different layers. And this is why it is so important for us to educate other people about what mental health really is, what a mental health illness or diagnosis really is, and continue to educate and continue to have these conversations and these talks, but then also being able to actively be involved and engage. So I know that that is tough and it's hard. And when you speak about mental health, People like, nope, I don't want to deal with that. Oh, I, I'm not crazy. Don't, no, I'm good. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, just really <laughs> breaking down those barriers and saying, hey, mental health is more than just you losing your mind. It's about being able to express your emotions in a healthy way. It's about being able to think in rational ways. It's about being able to utilize both your emotions and your thoughts and being able to respond to a situation, respond to a crisis, 
and being able to handle that in an appropriate, healthy way. Because guys have so many, like you said, different masks that you wear and being able to balance all of those things can prove difficult. So not only are you dealing with the pressures of self and being the best man that you can be, you may also be dealing with stresses at work, you know, being being the best and how you fit there, right? Not being undermined. And then, you know, how do you look when you come home to your family and the demands that they're putting on you there? So it's like, well, hey, I feel like I am all of these people, but who am I really? Yeah. So, you know, my family background is Jamaican. And so, you know, the Jamaican culture doesn't play with with mental health. And, you know, it's it's really big on not showing any weakness, not being perceived as soft, all these things. So a lot of emotions are really taught to be subdued. Like you just don't show things. I laugh about this sometimes. And my dad and I joke about this of even when my wife and I, when we got married in, in 2014, and I remember like seeing my wife and, you know, I got teary eyed. You know, yeah. it's, it's my it's my wedding. Yeah. You know, I got teary eyed. And then my dad was like, hey, essentially like, no, no, no emotion. It's like, man, pops, I can't even show emotion at my wedding. But sometimes that's just, it's the way it is, right? Right. Going back to like, what makes you a man, the masculinity piece, not showing any type of emotion. But I, I think over time, I think it's it's gotten better and not relate to my family, but also just in general, like the amount of clients that I see from Caribbean backgrounds is is unbelievable, especially in recent years. I think there's been more of an openness to understanding this is something that we need to explore a little bit more related to mental health and being more open about experiences. And even going back to what you said earlier, yeah, sometimes there is this perception of, oh, I have to have schizophrenia or, you know, a severe mental illness to seek help. But the fact of the matter is we see clients on both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. You know, some individuals that are just like, hey, I'm I'm kind of struggling with stress and I, I really could just benefit from having somebody to talk to. We, we treat clients who have very, very mild symptoms and up. And so whatever is creating difficulties or impacting functioning or just impacting your mood, those are things that you can seek help with. And I think me being in the field and having these conversations with my family and, and, and peers, I think it's definitely made a big difference. But growing up, and, and I struggle with this, where there was a lot of emotions that I didn't show as a kid because of that expectation. And it wasn't until I started getting into the field and, and, and also my wife, who's also a therapist, I, I definitely give her a lot of credit because us being in a relationship has really helping me to be more comfortable in talking about different things has been extremely, extremely uh, beneficial. Things have certainly gotten better over time. Yeah. And thank you for, you know, sharing that with the listeners, because I think that hearing a personal experience from a Black professional, it's important, you know, because we talk about, you know, the research that we do, we talk about everything else that we do as clinicians, but just having someone putting those or setting aside those titles and being able to say, hey, you know, at the end of the day, I am still human as well. And I experienced the same thing that you do. It's very common. And this is how I work through it. 
And this is how, you know, you can work through it too. Speaking on a personal note, when I met my fiance, he was like, mental health, oh, it's all in the mind. You know, just they'll get over it. You know, you just have to be strong enough until, you know, he started to see the work that I was doing and how I was doing it recently. And he said, you know what? Wow, I really didn't understand the complexity of mental health. It's so simple. Yeah but it's complex. And he said, you know, thank you, honey, so much for just doing what you do because I couldn't deal with it. And I said, it's just the passion and the drive that I have to help other people not only understand mental health, but allow them to experience true healing, which allows them to then live an amazing life. Yeah. You also raised another point, too, is when you're in the field, it's important to get support, too, because we're so accustomed to helping others that sometimes our own personal things can kind of be put on the back burner because we're so focused on helping our clients or maybe family or friends. And so I think it's also important for clinicians to make sure that they're adequately taking care of themselves, too. You know, I'll even self-disclose that in 2018, I saw uh, counseling for myself just to process some things. And that was extremely beneficial uh, for me. And it also just goes to show that, again, even as clinicians, we can model being able to take care of ourselves as well, especially if that's the message that we're telling our clients and other people as well. Definitely. Definitely. I always say that a therapist needs a therapist. I did a um, episode on a podcast three months ago. Um, the host, Catherine, said, well, what advice would you give to clinicians out there to prevent burnout? And I said, hey, it's okay. We have to walk the walk as, as well as talk the talk. And it's very difficult for me to encourage my clients to do something if I haven't done it myself. I am all for taking that avenue for self-care because it's important. Doing that professionally and personally, I talk to so many different guys out there that's not my client. And I always ask them, well, what is the preventing factor from you getting help or you seeing someone just to, you know, clear your mind, just to vent, just to get a, a different perspective. And that's what, you know, therapy is all about is gaining a different perspective and using different tools to cope and address issues, right? That's what it is all about. The response that I get back is, I don't want people to think that I'm crazy. And again, going back to that stigma, and we use that word crazy so loosely, but what does that mean? Yeah. They're like, well, you know, no, I don't know. Yeah. And so I have to explain to them that, you know, I see small children, seven and eight years old, and I, I counsel them and we work together. And then I say, well, do you think a ch that child is crazy? And then they were like, well, no, I don't. And I was like, well, why do you, why would you feel, or why would you put that label on yourself? Right. And that goes back to that social stigma, how negative attitudes towards people experiencing a mental health illness, that perception is, oh, you're weak or you have a, a character defect or, or you're broken. I'm going to say this to all of my men that are listening. You're not broken. You know, you're not weak 
in 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 reality, it actually takes a strong person to pick up that phone and say, you know what, let me get help. Yeah. Let me, you know, put my self first. Yeah. It reminds me of this message I saw on social media. It's probably a couple of years ago, but it always stuck with me. It said, um, depression doesn't mean that you're weak. It means that you've been strong for too long. Right. And I thought that that was a really great message um, because you're right. You're not weak. You're not soft. You're human. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when I do outreach events, I always ask the audience, how many people in here have ever been sad before? How many people have ever been anxious? And I'll just go down the list of all these different things. Everybody raises their hands. And to your point, it's not that you're crazy. Again, these are natural human emotions. And sometimes life gets difficult. And in those situations, we can benefit from just having somebody to talk to, whether it's your peers, family, a therapist, whoever. But we could all benefit from just being able to receive that type of support. Well, listeners, there you have it. You have heard Dr. Huffstead say you do not need to label yourself as being crazy, but everybody, everybody needs someone in their corner to support them and just talk through things. So Dr. Huffstead, do you have any additional positive advice that you can share to break the cycle of mental health stigma? Yeah, I mean, I would just tell all listeners, I get it. Whether it's family messages, again, cultural messages, societal messages, personal messages. I get it. You know, it can feel really, really difficult to take that first step of getting support. But I just want to encourage you from a therapist perspective who who I saw therapy myself, you know, a few years ago, it can be extremely, extremely beneficial. And there are so many different resources that are available, especially after the pan well, during the pandemic, what it created was a lot of virtual services. And so the accessibility of mental health treatment now is more accessible than it's ever been before. Um, and so I would encourage you, whether it's going on psychologytoday.com and using the find a therapist feature, um, and there's so many other resources where you can actually filter out therapists based on your location, what your presenting concerns are, what preferences you have for a therapist, insurance, whatever it is. Um, and a lot of therapists have sliding fees too. I know sometimes that's a barrier is, oh, therapy is going to be too expensive. Um, there's a number of therapists that will lower their, their rate, um, you know, to accommodate you. Um, and that's something that you could also search on psychology today. Um, and so I encourage you not to allow these barriers to impact you from getting the support that you need. And it can be extremely uh, beneficial and you achieving your goals and again, achieving physical as well as mental uh, health. Um, and so that's something I want to leave you with. All right. Well, guys, there you have it. There is help out there, whether it's better help, whether it's again, psychology today or open path. There are so many resources out there. And again, thank you, Dr. Huffstead, for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome.